0: Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu.
1: Hello and welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes, and I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Dr. Werner Eichhorst who is the Director of uh, European Labour Market Policies at the ICA, the Institute of the Study of Labour, or in German it's the Forschungsinstitut zur Zukunft der Arbeit, so it means more about the future of work. Welcome, Werner.
0: Hello, Agnes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, so Dr. Eichhorst is, as I said now, a Director for Labour Market Policies at ICA. But before that, he was a doctoral and then a postdoctoral fellow at the Max Planck Institute. He also worked for the Bertelsmanns Foundation and joined ICA in 2005. And his main research areas are um, a comparative analysis of labor market institutions and performance. And he also specializes in different aspects of the future of labor, and that's, I think, one of the most fascinating aspects and, and why we are here talking today. So let me just maybe get get the first question out there. Um, we hear so much about the future of work, uh, Arbeiten 4.0, uh, Industry 4.0. How could we separate the hype from what is actually really coming our way? What are the major trends that are going to transform uh, the, the future of work in Europe?
0: Um, Yes, actually, um, I think this is one of the most prominent uh, debates that we currently have. And um, well, the basic issue here is mostly uh, technological progress, um, digitalization, um, as it is often called, um, the full um, development of uh, technologies that allow for mobile working from working from home, um, but also uh, new types of uh, division of labor between different, let's say, Uh, project partners, Um, and what we will also probably see um, also empirically sooner or later is a change in in the types of jobs, the tasks that uh, human beings perform in collaboration with, but also somehow in competition with um, more and more intelligent uh, machines or robots. So what I do think, um, it is not necessarily a completely disruptive development in any respect. But um, it may be an acceleration of some uh, technological evolution that we have seen emerging over the last um, maybe two decades um, since, uh, for example, the World Wide Web has been um, uh, out rolled out uh, to to the general public. So what I see uh, definitely is a sort of a a new stage of, uh, let's say, the intermediation of of human work and um, uh, information technology in particular
1: and i guess the big elephant in any politician's room or mind is yeah. um trying to improve producti- productivity yeah. and the quality of work mm-hmm. but at the same time i guess the biggest fear is whether are there going to be less and less and less and gradually really less and less jobs
0: yes uh, this is both uh, both a relevant issue certainly um well, uh, regarding the number of jobs, I'm not so pessimistic um, because what we have seen over the last uh, decades or even, even centuries is, a, is an at least stability, if not growth, of um, total hours worked in uh, European economies. Um, at the same time, of course, uh, structural changes, changes in the, in the jobs um, that are there, changes also in the skill requirements. Um, so the main issue here is certainly how to cope um, with this new wave of technological change and also changing skill requirements. Because I think this is also particularly relevant uh, to ensure uh, productivity and decent working conditions. The risk of of polarization um, uh, and maybe also uh, poverty, very precarious types of work, uh, will be particularly high if uh, some people are not employable uh, in in the new world of work um, that is probably more and more skills intensive, um, both in terms of intellectual, uh, creative um, uh, terms, but also in terms of of interaction, uh, social skills, and and so forth. Um, So I think um, these are uh, very important issues, skill formation, and also uh, uh, productivity that enables us also to maintain uh, favorable working conditions.
1: Have we already figured out, or, or are politicians or businesses in the process of figuring out how these smart machines and humans are going to be working side by side? Because from from what I see is is this is more of a of a a, a thinking about trade off and and a very binary. You know, it will be either a human job or an artificial intelligence or sensor or robot doing that job. But I guess if you also mention skill, this is about how we will be able to work together, right?
0: Yeah, we will certainly be working together. Um, so in, in two uh, aspects, I would say. First is uh, we will work together uh, side by side with uh, machines, um, as we have done in the past, but in a more, let's say, uh, intensive way or uh, uh, maybe a more, let's say, cognitive way. Um, so that even more complex tasks can be supported and partially taken over by robots or intelligent machines. But this does not necessarily mean um, that uh, those jobs will disappear, but they will certainly change and the content of the jobs will become more, uh, how should I say, um, more interactive in terms of um, the interface between uh, human beings and machines. At the same time, we will also be working together in terms of, of humans working with humans, because uh, to the extent that uh, routine tasks can definitely be automated or uh, well uh, will disappear as as human labor, um, the the remaining or, or the new world of work will be uh, characterized, I think, even more by uh, the interaction uh, of human beings. Uh, so in that way, one could also say, well, there's an optimistic um, angle to this. Um, that areas um, were definitely uh, human uh, interaction, social interaction, uh, decision-making, creativity becomes more important. Um, the human touch of uh, of, of work uh, will become even more decisive.
1: Mm. You mentioned, uh, just before you mentioned skills, that there will be some new skills we will have to form and learn and, and use. Um, do you see, um, how do you see this will happen? We already see now um, a huge youth unemployment and also structural unemployment and also uh, quite a lot of skills gaps, really big skills gaps. So what is going to be the process of for the, the future workers to acquire those skills, those special skills we will need?
0: So, well, uh, the, the first and, and most uh, uh, important issue is certainly sort of a general uh, minimum um, uh, investment into skills for everybody uh, in a German one could sorry, say uh, it would be sort of a buildings existence minimum or a minimum level of skills that is required to to exist and to compete on the labor market so I think this needs to be guaranteed for everybody mainly through general schooling maybe also through some preparatory training and uh, later on, also due, uh, during uh, vocational training or academic training, so that nobody is left behind and uh, nobody leaves school too early, uh, ending up in, as a long term uh, uh, young person, um, uh, a long term unemployed young person. So, this is, I think, very uh, essential. The other aspect where many European countries still have uh, major uh, room for improvement is um, skill uh, updating during mm-hmm. the working life. And here, um, this I think we need uh, new models of sharing this responsibility and also sharing um, funding uh, to invest in that between uh, employers, um, the individuals, uh, and also the public or the let's say the welfare state. Um, we we. I think it, it, it is not so easy to identify, let's say, very specific uh, skills um, in, in certain narrowly defined occupations that will be particularly relevant in the future. But uh, employability uh, definitely requires some sort of uh, capacity to adapt to change and also maybe to even change um, occupations mm. at some point.
1: From <clears throat> um, some of the previous guests on our podcast, we had especially a lot of them from the US, there seems to be some kind mm. of awakening there that before employees would think that their skills, updating, and career was supposed to be managed by the employer. You know, that you sign up for your mm. work, your career, and then you're being taken care of by training and development. But, yeah. but now, especially since the crisis, more and more workers are realizing that they have to you know take this into their own hands and and make sure that they get those skills and those experiences are part of those networks um that will help them to craft you know their sustainable careers Mm -hmm. do you do you see something like this also in europe
0: i definitely do see something like that in europe um and actually um I think maybe for Europeans, it's even more uh, of a change uh, because, uh, well, um, this, how should I say, um, the willingness uh, to take over responsibility for own uh, uh, career uh, and and skill formation is is somehow limited uh, in in many European countries, in particular with the low skilled and also with the medium skilled. um, And definitely they did they do not benefit from employer uh, sponsor training uh, that much. So there's definitely some call for uh, taking over more responsibilities. Uh, On this side, um, maybe the highest skilled are those who would uh, definitely take uh, more uh, own initiatives in that respect, but this will not be sufficient. So um, for for all others, I think we definitely need a sort of, uh, uh, also a sort of, yeah. Individual responsibility that is somehow enabled also by public infrastructure and by some incentives uh, to invest into training, uh, uh, to learn uh, and not to stop learning after, let's say, leaving um, a vocational school or after leaving university.
1: I also think that perhaps this awakening to, you know, there were always European policies about lifelong learning and from cradle to grave uh, learning, but, but somehow the rate of acceleration in new technologies, there's, there's, there seems to be always something new just around the corner, and 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 the, this what you just mentioned the the, the ability to adapt and yes. adapt quickly to change, to filter you know where to focus to to prioritize between the the new things coming your way and and this um, maintaining a learning culture is going to be very, very important in the future, I guess.
0: This is definitely very important. um, And um, I think where most European countries have definitely some room for improvement is uh, to make this lifelong learning philosophy that seems to be generally accepted uh, in in policy statements and in rhetoric to make it a real, let's say, uh, phenomenon um, that um, affects everybody and where everybody has also access to lifelong learning. Um, We we cannot uh, afford uh, to just... uh, uh, talk about lifelong learning on Sundays or been making general political statements.
1: And and from what I have been following, a lot of the discourse was also a lifelong learning in the non-formal or informal learning, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So you, people should be allowed to volunteer or be active in their communities, take up different uh, responsibilities to really perhaps foster the, the soft skills, right? And But now we're really talking about the actual skills they will need on the job if they want to have a sustainable working life and career.
0: That's definitely true, uh, especially given the fact um, that we are facing um, massive technological change, uh, but also, let's say, global competition for good jobs um, and for productivity. So um, there's also some need uh, for, let's say, hard uh, uh, occupational skills that are of imminent uh, relevance in the the foreseeable future. so I do think that employers, but also maybe trade unions in, in the public sphere like like active labor market policymakers uh, should work together and develop uh, 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 structures that help uh, assess existing skills and maybe also skill gaps um, on a regular basis and then to identify suitable ways of upskilling. And that could either be more on, informal on the job to some extent, mm-hmm. maybe with a certain sort of, sort of certificate uh, Mm -hmm. Um, But it could also mean some sort of, well, how should I say, part-time schooling or some sort of modular, more formal types of uh, learning um, that should be embedded into the the working life. Yeah, Mm. Maybe sort of uh, also training leaves or maybe some phases of part-time work, uh, uh, part-time training um, happening after some years uh, of intensive working.
1: Mm. You you have... um just recently published a, a paper that you co-authored um, what is called What is a Good Job? Yeah. And uh, it was very interesting to read, partly because one of your findings is that there isn't such a negative trend in in the quality of, of jobs. And um, what you also say, very important, you link job satisfaction to life, satisfaction so strongly life satisfaction strongly driven by work satisfaction and 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 you unpick a little bit there what it is to have a meaningful job meaningful work and and of course learning is one of them but could you take us a little bit through these different elements of of quality of job and what it is to have a meaningful work
0: Yes, I think our main point in that paper, but it's also something that's more apparent in, in the general discourse about the quality of jobs, is um, that we have a, a multi-dimensional uh, perspective on the quality of uh, jobs. Uh, we definitely have some sort of objective indicators um, that are very important in the policy debate, um, like uh, pay levels, like employment stability, like... Um, um, the possibility of being promoted from a so-called atypical uh, job to a permanent position. And um, at the same time, we have a more subjective uh, dimension to the quality of uh, work. Um, this has much to do with job satisfaction and um, this is definitely linked uh, more to the, the company level practices, um, to the type of, let's say, teamwork, the, the culture at, in, the, in the firm and also the room to uh, make your own decisions about the speed of work and uh, maybe also uh, somehow on the content uh, in some cases. So what we, we, we try to somehow uh, establish what we do know about these uh, different elements and also uh, identified uh, definitely the area of uh, firm practices um, and uh, individual job satisfaction is one of the core elements where we need to sort of reconcile uh, productivity and flexibility requirements um, that are there and uh, that are faced by uh, the firms um, with these individual um, capacities um, to cope um, with the current, uh, maybe the, the future uh, demands of uh, labor uh, and individual uh, well-being. So. Um, I think one of the core questions for the future is then um, how to make sure that in particular shop level uh, practices can uh, establish a positive link between being productive and flexible on the one hand, but also ensure that um, workers uh, are uh, well somehow satisfied uh, and uh, can definitely uh, work on a sustainable basis without being, let's say, uh, whatever, exhausted or, or something like that. Uh, over a few years,
1: mm. and and that's that's another trend that we're seeing globally: um, the rise of the freelance or contingent mm. workforce. And I'm always wondering about, you know, so, some of the innovation capacity that that perhaps in the U.S. where or Australia where you have a lot less stricter uh, labor market legislation, mm. employers. Have also more flexibility to bring together teams for certain yeah. projects and dismantle them, and then bring together much more in a much more fluid way than in Europe. I find yeah. that in Europe there isn't so much this practice of of having inside and outside people. You know, I, my theory uh, is that companies and employers are already paying so much after each employed person that they think, okay, they may as well just do the job. We don't need to bring in freelancers or additional. Um, additional skill set or, or talent in this, but as you say, so so how, how is this going to move when workers want security, they want job stability, they need, you know, a permanent uh, level of, of income, but at the same time, how will this innovation and productivity with the flexibility work at, at company level? How will you see this in, in Europe happening?
0: Well, um, yes. Uh, first, um, I also see um, this um, increased fragmentization of fractalization or of whatever of, uh, of work in Europe. Um, um, the, the value chains become more uh, uh, complicated, maybe longer, also using um, outside experts, um, freelancers, uh, solo self-employed, uh, even bogus self-employed to some extent. Um, so this is... Certainly, one element of flexibility, and well, maybe also some expectation regarding um, the mobilization of specific um, skills, specific qualifications, and that you do not want, necessarily want to have in your company. This then uh, uh, well uh, raises questions about um, income security, about employment uh, uh, stability, but also social protection of those people who cannot enter a permanent uh, position. Maybe some of those even do not want to enter uh, mm. a, a dependent employment um, because they enjoy sort of a privileged position and, and also the, the, the autonomy that they uh, have there. Yes. So this is one element. I think this is somehow an ambiguous development. It um, mainly calls for maybe an updating also of our labor laws and in the welfare state. The other element um, that I do see in terms of productivity is um, how to change... Um, company level um, employment and and staffing practices so that even people um, that you as an employer think are relevant and are important uh, to be employed on a permanent basis can remain or become even more uh, productive, creative, innovative um, while being on a permanent position. So this is somehow a a sort of a dual model um, in, in terms of innovation Um, But I think they are both um, equally relevant for the future. So what is also quite surprising, um, and I may want to add this finally, is that still um, the vast majority of all employees in Europe have a permanent position uh, on a full-time basis, somehow a a traditional type of employment relationship. And um, the important question is how to make this also possible in the future.
1: I think that's really in our culture as a, as a mm-hmm. european European countries, and somehow the this this cornerstones of the European welfare society uh, we speak a lot about what you just sent your second point we do speak a lot about on our on our podcast series here about the crisis of h r
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the very very um uh, strict uh, recruitment practices where candidates are really, you know, boxed in and there doesn't seem to be a lot of flexibility to recruit based on passion or talent or motivation. But you have to have a very, very strict CV and skill set that is going to align to what is then going to be expected of you. And also to recognize talent and skills within the same company that you know, maybe not necessarily what's written on your business card, but mm-hmm. how to make a more fluid way yes. of of utilizing people's talents and and passions in within a company, which across departments and and across roles.
0: Um, yes, I think this observation is completely true, um, and um, many European countries have sort of a a very strong orientation towards certificates. Yeah. Aha! Uh-huh, um, yeah. Uh, in terms of training, um, not least uh, in the German case, um, with this engineering uh, tradition and also with the vocational training system. So this, this has been uh, very productive, um, and I think this has also triggered a lot of innovation in the technical sphere. Um, but this may not be the only or maybe the uh, superior way uh, to ensure that we are going to be creative in the future. I do see definitely some sort of benefit also from diversity, and to allow for a more flexible organization within the companies where um, individual factors, um, maybe even individual idiosyncrasies like whatever uh, particular uh, personal traits become more important than certain let's say formal certificates. Because what we also know from the literature is that diverse companies, uh, diverse teams uh, tend to be more innovative than um, let's say, uh, work environments where all people have the same type of training, for example. Yeah, This is not necessarily yeah. very innovative, uh, and maybe not productive in the long run.
1: No, and what we see also from successful companies, in one, one case is Adidas, mm-hmm. that they even design their buildings in a way that allow for employees from the whole company to collide in different settings, in different ways. And they see that that is when Innovative ideas can come out, and 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 productivity can can sparkle when you have unlikely team members who would exchange, and you know, someone from finance would meet someone from the design, or someone from HR would meet someone from, I don't know, the cafeteria, <laughs> and yes. and that they can they can really then this will align basically the whole company around one purpose, but also utilizing, as you say, some of those skills that I think were. Even quite recently, characterized as soft skills and a little bit dismissed, mm-hmm. but the skills of of communication, of negotiation, of of empathy, of understanding your customers, of anticipating the markets. I think these is are going to be the skills that may not be reflected, whether you have a degree, in tech, you know, in from university in engineering or a psychology degree or an economic degree. Mm-hmm. These degrees almost don't even tell anything about the whole person anymore.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, Maybe one thing uh, one needs to add here is um, that companies are well, they they should definitely go beyond, let's say, um, old um, hierarchical arrangements and they should definitely open up um, um, for for more flexible uh, ways of meeting and interacting. But then they also need um, the courage um, to trust Um, and to delegate uh, responsibilities um, to their uh, employees and maybe even to external project partners. Because uh, I think um, what definitely will not work is um, to ensure uh, strict controlling, strict guidelines and at the same time expect to have a a very flexible, very creative um, company.
1: Mm, Absolutely. This courage and trust and autonomy
0: mm-hmm. are
1: some of the key words that always come back on our yes. podcasts and on our mm-hmm. on our blog as well. And, and I think that that's how <clears throat> you will have the early adopters who will mm-hmm. be brave to, to do this or, or those who don't have a choice, mm-hmm. but to change their management practices and company culture. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully this will also have a ripple effect in, in mainstream Employers and companies.
0: Yes, and um, what well what what is probably also quite typical um, for uh, the new world of work is um, that the premium for uh, early adoption of uh, new work practices is probably increasing. Yeah, because um, all the competitive environment becomes uh, increasingly difficult. Um, if you are very slow in adapting uh, and if you are very late and very reluctant um, to embark on these new routes, um, you will definitely le- be left behind as a company. Mm. So there's, uh, there's certainly some problem pressure there. Also, young people become maybe a bit more, more demanding in terms of, of the quality of work that needs to be offered to them. Um, so, and, and also maybe uh, more more experienced workers um uh, in aging Europe, uh, where skills are definitely uh, becoming scarcer, I think they are also more in a, in a powerful position. Mm. So that also companies need to react to this and, and negotiate more uh, at the same level with uh, their employees and, and with future employees rather than, let's say, just... Uh, uh, demanding something from them
1: Mm, absolutely Mm -hmm. so um before we go to the last question we always have here the same last question on the work life hub podcast but before i i go uh, we go to that last question may i just ask you to perhaps share the you know the website or twitter or where where uh, listeners can find you and contact you
0: so I think the best way to approach me is um, through the website at the Institute for the Study of Labour. It is called um, iza.org, um, and there you can find um, my individual profile and um, all uh, those papers and reports that I have been written. Uh, I have written uh, recently. Over. So um, then you can freely download everything there.
1: I also have to say that your your website is an incredible wealth of information. I have to congratulate you because there's so much uh, very relevant, very interesting, uh, very high quality papers there that if anybody's interested in labor markets and work and gender and women and precarious work, anything is is the IZA website is really the go to place, I think.
0: Yes, I, I, I think so. Yes. Well, uh, thank you very much. and. Um, important thing is that I think it's a, it's a quite simple website and everything is available without any registration or without having to pay for something. So yeah. that's, that's all fine. You um, also have very sh- uh, short uh, policy briefs on, on some issues called ICA World of Labour. This is a subsection on our website. Um, there you can also find um, uh, non-technical papers um, dealing with specific questions.
1: So our last question is, um, if Werner, I could ask you Um, Mm. to give one advice to a CEO of a company to make a change, to prepare for the new world of work, then what would that one or first advice be?
0: Oh, well, this is uh, difficult, um, but maybe it's also simple. I think the crucial question is um, to hire the right people and then... um, To also let them advise you and maybe also decide uh, uh, what uh, uh, they think is the most important uh, uh, thing to do in the future. So, uh, a delegation of uh, responsibilities, challenging um, um, hierarchical levels, and um, while also uh, trusting them. Because uh, when you hire people, um, you are definitely trying to hire the most talented, um, the most self reliable. Uh, people and then um, you should definitely avoid um, integrate trying to integrate them into a hierarchical situation.
1: Mm. We yeah. had a Lotte Bailin, Professor Lotte Bailin, on uh, our podcast series, and, and, and one of her books is called Breaking the Mold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're referring to, right? This perfect worker mold. We try, we hired the most talented, most interesting candidates and then we, we, we mold them into, yes, yes, in, yes. into. and then we hope that they will not transgress or, or come out of the mold.
0: I think this is the old economy and this is definitely not something that we need in the future anymore.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much, Werner. It has been a really interesting and, and highly informative discussion.
0: You're welcome, Agnes. much. Well